Have you ever dreamed of one day owning your own business, but just don't know where to begin? Then you've tuned into the right show. On All Things Franchising, you will hear from top national franchisers, successful franchisees, attorneys, CPAs, and others who support this fast-growing business model. So grab a cup of coffee and pen and notepad because you will want to capture the invaluable information you hear on today's show. And now, here is your host, Linda Ballesteros. Hey folks, welcome to All Things Franchising. This is Linda Ballesteros. I'm your host today. I appreciate you spending some time with me and carving some time out of your busy day to find out what I'm up to on All Things Franchising. Today, as I've done in the past, I want to introduce you to a franchise that is an industry that you wouldn't normally think of. So we're going to be talking about the estate sale industry. So I recently read an article. The title of the article was The Boom of the U.S. Uh, estate Sale Industry. A few reasons the estate sale industry is becoming louder than ever before is, and the times are changing is because of the baby boomers that are largely uh, contributing to this. It went on to say that not so long ago, it was common for families to have five, six, seven children. So people had less personal belongings. The tables have turned considerably. The size of the average family is shrinking, and people are becoming more and more obsessed, obsessed with their stuff. I want you to look around your house right now. I bet you've got quite a, quite a few things that you think are really important to you. Plus, it went on to say that these things that we own are more expensive. So today, my guest is Lloyd Swartz. And Lloyd is the founder of Auction Addiction, and he founded that in 2011. Auction Addiction is the first ever, ever nationwide network of locally owned and operated uh, buying and selling communities using online customized technology with old school auctioneering. Sounds interesting, does it? Please help me in welcoming Lloyd to the show. Hey, Lloyd, so glad you're here. Well, thanks, Linda. I appreciate it. And that was a, a great lead-in. That, that was really uh, spot-on accurate information you provided there about estate sales. And uh, it's, it's kind of a unique industry in the fact that for, for the things you mentioned, it's really only existed since about the 1960s. Uh, wow. And uh, now, yeah, now we're on this crazy growth curve with every every so many years that the, literally the business is doubling. I mean, how many industries can you say that about? Right, exactly. Well, before we get into that, Lloyd, I'd love to hear a little more about your background and where did the idea of my auction addiction come from? Well, I've been in construction for a long time, and in 2008, we had a 20-year-old construction business, and it, it, with the 2008 housing crisis, uh, it became apparent uh, that it didn't make sense to continue in that business. It, the actual level of activity has never come back here uh, to the level it was when I got out, and 
it was kind of a wake-up call for me. It was this big transition where there were a lot of things that nobody realized were going on. Obviously, we didn't realize they were making substandard mortgage loans and that sort of thing. But what we also didn't contemplate was the aging population. And as I started to look at that long-term, I realized construction wasn't something you're going to need down the road. There are some estimates that 38% of Albuquerque could be empty one day, uh, and that mm-hmm. is because our population is shrinking. So uh, I realized I wanted to do something else. I, you know, I've been in business my whole life. I, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons. I said, look, what do I want? I want something high-tech. Who's making money out there? Who's making the mm-hmm. big money? Uh, well, it's technology companies. Okay, so I want a technology-based business. I want something with lower overhead. Uh, yeah, I don't need an office. One have to have an office building, dump trucks, workman comps bill, restaurant equipment, leases. I didn't want all that stuff anymore. Uh, and so uh, that sort of got me thinking. And then I had to liquidate, of course, my construction business. And then we did a nonprofit fundraiser yard sale where nobody showed up to help, but they donated plenty of items. And when we were done, we had a ton of stuff left over. And so that kind of gave me an idea of, all right, is there a way to do downsizing, moving, and estate sales in a more efficient manner using technology? And that was how our business model and our system was born. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I know that I um, had looked at your website, and when, one of the items that you talked about was businesses and downsizing businesses and liquidating businesses. I never thought about that as an additional market. When I think of estate sales, I think we're selling grandma's stuff, you know, the flowered sofa, the china cabinet. But that's not the the case, is it? No. More often, we actually do more moving and downsizing sales. Remember, are estate sales exploding? Well, yes, they are. But also seniors moving into smaller homes or moving into assisted living. So, Or maybe we just have a professional that says, hey, uh, I got a great job in Houston, Texas, but – I'm, I don't want to pay $10,000 to move all my stuff there. I'll, I'll go down there and buy new furniture. So, uh, so we have those elements. But also because we're an online platform, it gives us flexibilities that a traditional state seller doesn't have, and we do a much larger range of uh, services from storage options, you've probably seen those on TV, uh, to course business liquidations. We actually just liquidated uh, the set for The Biggest Loser. You might be familiar with that uh, mm-hmm. TV show. Uh, unfortunately, with COVID, they were they're, they weren't sure if they should continue with COVID immediately. So we right. went and liquidated the assets for the show. That, that one we just did a week ago. So, um, so yeah, it's a, our business model is not purely tied to estates, which, which gives us a much larger spectrum of earning opportunities. The other thing that's great is we do small sales. We figure, hey, if we help a senior, I just have one where I just did it in a senior facility. Think of that middle of COVID-19. I did a sale in a senior facility. Well, how did I do that? Well, selling takes place online. We know who's coming. We coordinate it. We brought them in the back door. That's not something you could do with a traditional fashion estate sale. So Mm -hmm. think of it as just a more advanced way of doing estate sales that opens up many more doors of opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more then, um, Lloyd, about the services. If I'm a client and I need um, the help of uh, with downsizing, you know, maybe all five of my kids have left the nest and I'm left with a six-bedroom house and I don't know what to do with this stuff. We're getting ready to sell the house. Tell me what that looks like. Tell me what how working with me, what that looks like, Lloyd. Well, I think you identified an important element that is we work in the real estate industry. That sounds crazy. But the truth is we are tied tied at the hip to the real estate industry. You know, you, normally a lot of times what would, what would happen is you would call a realtor because you're worried about that $1 million sale of your home, uh, not so much the ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 inside. And then all of a sudden you say, hey, realtor, uh, by the way, who do you know that does this kind of work? Uh, and then we get recommended. We give you a call. And of course, maybe you find us online or from a friend's recommendation. But I'm saying I just want to point out that that's, there's a very big connection there between us and the real estate industry. So you can almost feel like we're working in industry. Uh, so one of the things, we usually typically come out and do a meet and greet, as we call it, where we identify what your goals are. Are you going to move out before we sell the stuff? Are you going to be living in the home while we sell your stuff? Again, another thing that traditional estate sellers won't contemplate, they always require the person to be out of the house. Uh, how much stuff do you want? So the majority of your items, the minority of your items, would you like to stage the home with the items that you have while it's on the market? So we're going to go through and identify all those sorts of goals and needs that are particular to your sale. And then the main thing is we just, well, we tell our clients we need a way to get into the home if you're not going to be there, obviously, a signed contract. And we just need to be able to identify what you're selling and not selling. So sometimes it's making some recommendations like, okay, well, can you put all the small things you're keeping in your bedroom or in that closet? Or mm-hmm. can you just put the items out in the kitchen that you want to sell and leave the items in the cabinets that you don't want to sell? You know, just some sort of way that when we come back and do the inventory, we know exactly what we're doing. So typically we'll come back and do the inventory that might take anywhere from a few hours to a day, depending on how much is there. Um, for the biggest loser set, it took us two days because uh, it was mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Uh, and then we go back with our inventory and we key the items in uh, to our system. We create an online catalog that we're then able to market and our thousands of buyers then can competitively bid on those items. Uh, we'll do some research. Obviously, we don't all know what everything's work, uh, worth, and we do value pricing. You know, we try to start the bidding at some price. I had a Toyota Corolla last night. The wholesale value was about 8000 Retail was 10 It had some issues, so I started at 8 and ended up selling for 9 because some of the issues it had, for example. Uh, and so we'll then uh, put have that catalog up typically for about uh, at the end of that period of time there's an interactive online auction to close it out people then log in and pay for their items online uh, they get an invoice with the directions for the pickup now for you you know, say you're living in a home you're worried about security nobody even knows where the location is until they've paid with a credit card that matches their personal information on file so we meet them back there at the pickup and uh, we assist them in finding their things. We tag and organize the things. And the buyers come and pick their items up during that preset time window. Now, sometimes there's uh, situations where you need to arrange for a charity donation at the end or something like that, and we help our clients with that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically so paid our clients one, a week later. So I'm listening to this, Lloyd, and I think, boy, this would sure beat having a garage sale, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, a garage sale, you know, first of all, you kind of got to look at a garage sale. It should be for things that you would just assume throw away, donate to yeah. charity, or throw out on a loose table at a flea market. Because that's kind of the low level. That's like where people expect, and I've even had resellers at times tell me, not during COVID because there's so few garage sales, I'd rather go to a garage sale because I can just steal stuff from people. I can get it for nothing. So it's uh. really a different level of selling. Estate sales are sort of considered more classy. <laughs> you know, there's different levels of expectations with an estate sale or an online estate sale auction. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell me some of the, the items that you might find that maybe the owner didn't realize the value or, um, you know, you find those gems that really benefits by your knowledge. Well, I, I could give you many examples. Uh, you know, I have one where they threw one of those spring-loaded pole lamps from the old motels, and the, the lady was carrying it out to toss it in a dumpster, and I said, and it had a very cute mid-century look to it. I said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Let's put that back in the house. It sold for $380, which is what the dumpster cost her. So she threw in the dumpster the amount that she had paid for the dumpster. You know, and, and But I know that because I've been in the business. I understand these things. But if you're not – what you've got to realize, you hire a plumber every two, three years, right? And you get to know Joe the plumber, and you call him out. When, an estate sale is something that a person needs – Maybe once in her life, they've never had a loved one die. They didn't have to be the executor. Or maybe they yeah. never moved across the country or never downsized. So it's one of these things that people are very confused and don't understand a lot of things. And also there's a lot of misconceptions. Everybody thinks, oh, grandma's china, grandma's silver plate. Oh, that crystal. That stuff's junk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is not what we're looking for. Um, yeah. yeah I, one time I remember a lady, um, you know, she emotionally wasn't raised sell for a few years. Um, a lot was her mother's stuff. And I finally went there and I opened up the drawer and I said, you know, you're eating with a $3,000 set of sterling silverware. I, I don't know that that's probably a good idea. And she was like, what? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and so so those things do happen, but we what we like to focus really focus our clients on is it's not really about the money. It's number one about helping to assist in the transition, finding a new home for these items, finding someone else who will love your mother's items, will enjoy that couch that you got good use out of, whatever. Find a new practical place for it. Donate it if we have to. Uh, and make sure that the home is empty. Financially, the financial part is the lowest priority for us because, mm-hmm. frankly, you bought that couch, you paid $500 15 years ago. Guess what? It's worth 50 bucks or 100 bucks now. You know, mm-hmm. that, the amount of money we can get for the items in a home pales in comparison to the need for the downsizing, the transition, and the selling the 300, 400, 500,000 million dollar home. So yeah. we always have to keep our customers' priorities focused. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So 
now that I have a better idea, Lloyd, of the services that you offer, let's talk a little bit about what that franchise opportunity looks like. Now, some of the experience and, and the knowledge that you have in how much something is cost, like the lamp. Oh, lady, I wouldn't throw that away. Lloyd, I don't know that I would have that knowledge. When you are looking for franchisees, are you looking for franchisees that have a knowledge in uh, maybe they've been doing estate, they've gone to estate sales and auctions themselves? Who are you looking for, Lloyd? Well, I would have to say that anybody can learn this. Um, I, I mean, you know, does everybody know how to cook French fries and burgers at a McDonald's if they're going to do McDonald's franchise. No, you go through a murderous multi-week, multi-month training course where they, where, where they give you all that uh, information. Mm -hmm. The great thing about what we do is it used to be this thing where, oh, my God, you had to be an expert. Right. And, or you yep. had all these crazy books and we see them in estate sales. My collectibles, 1988, you know, you had to go to that book. You had to find this book and look up and find out what's now you could just Google it. <laughs> so the right. research portion, we just need to provide uh, a potential franchisee with some basic tools, some basic training. And, and it's not really knowing like that that lamp's going to be worth $380. Maybe it's not. It's knowing what to look for, finding those categories. It could be simple as, is it made out of plastic? Well, if so, it's probably not going to be worth anything, right? Uh -huh. uh, is, it, is it a modern toy? Well, it's not going to be worth anything. Is it an old toy? Well, it might be collectible. I don't know. Let mm -hmm. me look it up. So, and, and the truth is somebody getting new into this business that doesn't have that experience like you talked about, it's going to spend a little more time. And we, we hire employees with raw, no experience and train them all the time. And it does take them a little longer to learn these things, but it's not something you can't learn. Would, would it help to have that experience? Great. Is it required or essential? No. You'll learn it, you know, given time. The truth of the matter is there's so much stuff out out there that you could never possibly know everything about everything. And that's part of the fun of this business too, is you're learning every day. I mean, just around the corner from me, I had to drag some mining equipment out of the basement of a house. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't even, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. I couldn't even guess what some of it was. I'm like, that's a hoochamagidget that does what? And I've been doing this 10 years, and I've been in mining, and I still didn't know what some of this stuff was. I had to research it. So, but it's part of the fun as well, you know, and the information's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Lloyd, it, once I've decided, you know, I think I am on board with my auction addiction, what type of training? I know that you said a lot of this is, um, you know, on-the-job training, so to speak, but what training do you provide for your new franchisees to get them started? So it would be a 10-day training program, and, uh, you know, approximately two days of that's purely office training. And the rest of it really is going out in the field, analyzing projects, analyzing what's there, learning what to look for, learning how to interact uh, with the client, learning, um, uh, you know, every aspect of how we do a pickup. 
learning every aspect of how to do an inventory or how to organize things in a house into groupings uh, so that uh, the sale will be successful. Uh, you know, of course, you're going to learn about marketing the business. It's a very unique business to market. Um, the, 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 the good news about marketing our business is that it's very simple and straightforward. There's only a few avenues to do it. But you have to know what, what those avenues are and how to properly do it. So we provide training on every facet. When somebody walks away at the end of the training period, they will have gone out and actually physically done jobs and entered those jobs in the system, actually physically done pickups, set up auctions, worked with the software. Uh, we will send them away with a marketing packet, with a strategy, with a calendar, an agenda of things to do to complete, tasks to complete over a period of uh, six or eight weeks to get their uh, franchise up and running. Uh, basically, they walk away with everything they need, social media set up, email is set up, every single thing they need other than maybe, let's say, their business license or something like that, which they should have in place ahead of time. Uh, they have everything they need to get started and get rolling. Mm-hmm. Uh- now, once I have um, once I have gone through the training, is it necessary for me to have an office, or is this home base? No, this is a totally a home base business. We we have a ten by twelve storage shed out in the side that we can stick little things for people that you know maybe didn't make the pickup and they they wanted us to pick up their little painting or something small and bring it back. That is the extent of what we use for an all. I own an office building, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't have an office. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it, and that's the beauty of it is just that ultra low overhead, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, I'm running right now, I'm running uh, three employees plus myself. Uh, my wife backs me up occasionally. Uh, and, you know, we're doing, you know, well over a million dollars in volume. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really extraordinary. You know, we're, we're approaching restaurant level volume with mm-hmm. one tenth of the employees and in a fraction of the overhead. That, right. That's and that was going to, that was going to be my next question, Lloyd, was employees. So you say you have a couple of employees. What do they do? So everybody does the same thing. Um, so you're, you know, and, and when you're looking for an employee, you're looking for many of the same qualities you would find in yourself as an entrepreneur starting one of these franchises. You need somebody that's a hard worker, somebody that works well with others, and that really enjoys the work, going out and helping people. That's critical. If you're going to do a franchise, you're going to be an employee, you know, it really enjoy helping people. And the other thing is you got to love going out and making new discoveries every day, like we talked about. Um, but we send out an employee. I, now, as the franchise owner or the operations person, I will try to do most of the meet and greets, you know, make that first encounter with the client. But then after that, either I will do the job from start to finish, or I'll turn it over to an employee, and they will take it from there. They'll go back, they'll do the inventory, they'll do the research, they'll create the online catalog, they'll monitor the sale. When the sale closes out, 
They'll print tags, print their unsold sheets. They'll go back. They'll organize the pickup, get the pickup ready. Uh, if it's a larger pickup or if we're in a pandemic like now where we have to control access to the home uh, and limit the number of people, we'll have somebody at the door to assist them. And, uh, and so they'll go through do the whole process about the only thing they're not doing is maybe I get the contract ahead of time. Maybe I do the meet and greet ahead of time, and I, I pay out the client at the end and take care of the, you know, the paperwork. Um, but mm-hmm. other than that, an employee will, act, it will be self-sufficient. They'll work out of their own home, and they will go out and do the work on their own. So uh, you know, an employee can handle, typically, depending on the size of the job, two or three different sales a week. And I want you to think mm-hmm. about that. The tr- a traditional estate seller averages two to three sales a month if they're a, a pretty good size estate sale company, two to three a month. We're, we're, we're able to run two to three a week with one employee. Mm. That's the big power of technology. Mm. Wow. And I'm, my brain's trying to calculate that. <laughs> I just submitted here, Lloyd. So that tells me there's not just a huge um, demand for this, clearly, but there has to be money to be made in this, Lloyd. Well, it's an interesting uh, business because a lot of what you see in the estate sale industry are what I'm going to call hobbyists. People that do it more just for fun, because again, it it can be a it's it's a lot of work. Let's not kid ourselves, right? Yeah. All this stuff yeah. in somebody's home that you identify doesn't just make itself poof and disappear, and it doesn't just poof and disappear because you have an online e-commerce platform. It, that that just right. does, it's still a lot of work. Is it much less work than a traditional estate sale? Yes. Obviously, uh, it is. And again, you know, to think about in terms of our overhead, and I and there was an estate sale franchise, a traditional estate sale franchise at a franchise show, and you know they came in and said, well, you know, looks like your overhead's about half of ours. And I said it's actually probably about one fifth of what your overhead is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. think about this: a traditional estate sale has to make the home appear and be set up for like a retail environment. Like you're going to a Kohl's department store or something. So they have everything laid out, dusted, perfect, price tags on it, uh, no trip hazards. Um, It's very different for where we just got to set something aside, get a great picture of it, uh, get a description of it, and set it to the side. So we can move much faster. A traditional state seller might spend weeks with several employees setting up a job. We might mm-hmm. do a job by I'm, – I'm going to one – okay, so for an example, the one I'm doing here in a little while, little tiny job, bless his heart, uh, you know, his wife died. Uh, there wasn't much left for the business, but there's some office furniture. Uh, it's a $1,300, $1,400 job, and now your traditional estate sort of took a, whoa, whoa, we need nine grand to make a profit. Well, mm. my average margin is almost 50%. Someone makes six seven hundred dollars mm. And I'm going to have mm-hmm. four hours into the job. Um, and help I did someone one, along the way. And you're helping this right. guy along the way. Exactly. I did a senior job the other day, same way. I made about $700, and I had about two hours into it. That works for me. Now, contrary to Saturday, was a small uh, senior moving sale. Actually, he's still alive, but he, he got sick and had to go into the physical living. We, we're clearing out his house to the tune of about $29,000. 
I did mm. that job completely by myself. So imagine mm. what my profit margin at about 45, 46% gross margin on $29,000. Right. That's, that, 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 that's, that is huge. So now instead of doing maybe, you know, traditional state solar pumping out $20,000, $30,000 a month, now we can do a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a month in volume. Right, right, right. And so, so really, it's just yeah. that you, you, you just there's just no limits in this business. Now, mm-hmm. if that's not your goal, you don't want to make that much money. You don't have to work that hard. Um, but the the bottom line is, I look at a lot of franchises. I look look at it through. I, I analyze their, their potential, and what I see in a lot of cases, if you're buying a job that's going to deliver forty, fifty, sixty, seven, maybe $80,000 a year. And I want to at least see if I'm going to put the time and effort into building a business, building an empire, I want to see that I'm going to really be building something that can generate significant revenue if that's mm-hmm. what I want down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Lloyd, I'm coming up on commercial break, but before I break, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that you are an emerging brand. And folks, if you're not familiar with that term, an emerging brand is a younger brand. Um, you know, and, and you've listened to my show. I've had brands um, on the show that have been around for you know quite a few years, but. I believe, Lloyd, there is a certain advantage for someone to really take a good look at emerging brands. You want to talk on that just a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, here are a few points, uh, you know, I would make. One is oversaturation in the market. So when you Mm -hmm. look at well-established franchises like Subway or – uh, Janic, you know, Janiking or something like that, they have saturated the market very heavily. So that means that you're almost competing against other franchises. And as the population begins to decline long-term, that's going to be an increasing problem. Matter of fact, there's a lot of talk about a lot of these franchises uh, now downsizing and, and closing mm. units. Um, also, un, un, unmoving legacy platforms are slow to adapt to a changing world. Uh, mm-hmm. Expensive with big fees, large at-risk capital, and in some cases, really inflexible policies. And I'll, I'll give you a good example of that five guys who's now closing units, uh, it was my understanding. Mm-hmm. They um, here locally, every single fast food restaurant puts green chili on a hamburger. And they, they're the franchise here. I talked to them. They said, yeah, they went to the corporate and they said, look, we got to do this. There's not a single burger joint here in New Mexico. Doesn't even McDonald's puts green chili on everything. And five mm. guys said, nope, that's not. That doesn't fall into the box that we have. You can't do it. Um, granted, franchises have to maintain certain controls, and and I won't go into all the details of why. And we do too. But there has to be some flexibility for things like that. Uh, in difficult to reach or impersonal limited support, uh, you know, nasty policies. I mean, there's some really horrible policies out there where they can just come yank your franchise license for any reason. And if they're a big franchise, what do they care? So what? You don't mm-hmm. like that policy? Don't sign up. 
Um, mm-hmm. And also, I think the last thing is uh, is to consider is a novel idea may present a ground floor growth opportunity as opposed to one that's tired. So, you know, you may be looking at some some great, wonderful brands that have been around a long time, but maybe their market's kind of oversaturated. Maybe they've gone as far as that model's going to go. What about mm-hmm. estate sales that in the next 40 years, uh, you know, you're going to have 65 more million people age 65 and older and, and tens of millions of new sales and, and doubling of your potential uh, sales in every every so many years. I mean, that's not necessarily you're going to see with a lot of legacy brands. So, so those are some, some things I would throw out there. Sure. So we need to take a quick commercial break here, but I tell you what, Lloyd, I have this feeling that you've got some stories that you could share with us when we come back from break. Sure, you bet. Absolutely. So, folks, we're going to take a real quick commercial break, and we'll be back with more about my auction addiction. House Talk Radio. Join Tony and Wendy Gambone on House Talk Radio, where they talk all things house. From tips on home repairs and remodeling to best practices on buying and selling a home, hiring contractors, home loans, and insurance, as well as decorating ideas and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you would like more information about House Talk Radio, go to housetalkradio.com. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. to Tough Talk Christian Radio with Tony Gambone. Tough Talk Christian Radio is for those who want to share and receive expressions of faith that will help you take the next step in your relationship with Christ. Listen in to hear from others about their experiences of faith and the love of Christ. Call in to share your experiences at 347-989-1363. Learn more by going to toughtalkchristianradio.com. Are you dreaming of owning your own business but just don't know where to begin? The wait is now over. Linda Ballesteros is a catalyst to becoming a business owner through franchising. Whether you are looking to create a living that will allow you to leave corporate America, change your lifestyle, allowing you to enjoy the fun things in life, or if you're looking to build a legacy that will support your family for years to come, contact Linda today to start the process of being your own boss. Linda at EmpowerFranchiseConsulting.com, 832-640-4922. Hey, folks, welcome back to All Things Franchising. I'm here with Lloyd Swartz, and we are talking about his um, franchise, My Auction Addiction. I love the name, Lloyd. Absolutely love the name. Before you get into your story, if someone's listening and they'd like to have more information about what you do, what that franchise model actually looks like, they find more information about My Auction Addiction. Well, you can simply go to myauctionaddiction.com, or you can email me at Lloyd, L-L-O-Y-D, at myauctionaddiction.com, or just feel free to pick up the phone and call us anytime, 505-252-0915. Wonderful. So, Lloyd, you said you had a story for us. I can't wait to hear it. Well, there's so many out there, and I was tossing them back and forth, but I think I want to give you one that's a little more uh, maybe relevant to some of our conversations. So a number of years ago, uh, I was approached by a small publishing company uh, to liquidate their assets, and uh, 
uh, you know, and, and take care, you know, their inventory of books and stuff like that. You know, obviously not a particularly easy thing to handle. And uh, we had some interesting conversations. And one of the things that we talked about a lot is obviously how the model of the traditional publisher, and particularly small mom and pop publishers, that, that story was coming to an end. You know, publishing takes right. place online, ebooks, that sort of thing. But the most interesting part of the story was I said, well, you know, you know, we talked about, I said, uh, I joked haha about encyclopedias and how, you know, you can't sell encyclopedias. I mean, the, the information in an encyclopedia is outdated by 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, whereas right. Wikipedia was up, updated 20 minutes ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you know, so we have to recycle those. We have to tell our clients that's one of the things along with tube TVs and some other things that have to be recycled. And they said, well, would you believe it or not? And this was just a few years ago now. Would you believe it? But just up to a few years ago, they were still publishing encyclopedias. I said, what? What? what are you about? <laughs> and she said, she said they, absolutely, they were losing $20 million plus per year. They were printing the encyclopedias and stick them in warehouses because you can't sell them. Who are you going to sell them to? What was the lesson here? The lesson was encyclopedias have been around and being published for hundreds of years, and they could not face the fact that their business life cycle had come to an end. Now, Holy cow. Uh, yeah, right. Now, think about that. And how many other businesses, I mean, life cycles have come to an end. All business life, businesses have a life cycle. And in this case, the encyclopedia life cycle ended many years ago, and they were unwilling to face it. Now, if they had been a business that was adaptable, maybe they would have started Wikipedia, and maybe it would have been fee-based. Yeah. But mm-hmm. they didn't have that kind of vision. They could not imagine students and families and businessmen not picking up one of the hundreds of volumes of books on a shelf, digging through it for an hour and a half looking for something. They could not see beyond that. And and that's – these are the sorts of things that are really important to pay attention to in business, and that's why – with an aging population and technology explosion and everything going online, brick and mortars dying. We really mm-hmm. need to be smart when we're investing in a business, not thinking about what are their financials look like? How are they doing today? Thinking more in terms of what will this business model look like in five, 10? Mm-hmm. Because if you're building a business, right, you're investing your time and in buying a franchise and building this business, you want to be able to, be in business 20 years from now, or maybe you want to have an exit strategy 20 years from mm-hmm. now. And mm-hmm. that's going to count on that business model still being uh, vibrant and uh, relevant. I wouldn't recommend it. Mm-hmm. Irrelevant. Right. I, would not rec- right. I would not recommend encyclopedias. Yeah, exactly. That would be like you trying to get me to invest in blockbusters. You know, it's just not <laughs> relevant any longer, right? <laughs> so, well, they're making a tourist attraction. They're making a tourist attraction <laughs> out of the last blockbuster. You can actually rent. You can sleep there at night. Yeah, it's a crazy. It's like think about that. Think about that. It wasn't that long yeah. ago, really. I know. But that was a big model. My first full-time employee owned a chain of video stores, 
and he, he wow. was making a fortune. Sure. He, he just couldn't sure. imagine that that model was going away. Yeah. And Lloyd, I was at the video store every Friday night with my daughter. So it was a big, and it was packed, just packed on every Friday night. So absolutely. absolutely. Um, one of the one of the things I failed to ask you earlier about the franchise piece of this is what does the territory size look like when someone decides to come on as a franchisee with my auction, auction addiction? Well, you know, we really can't just draw little pretty little circles on our map or rent some software for $5,000 a year and draw little pretty pictures and stuff. What we really have yeah. to do is look at each area individually. You know, we're going to want at least 500,000 people within a territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we could have up to 1 or 1.2 million people, depending on a territory. And you want a diverse mix of incomes because let's face the facts that, um, you know, lower income estates generally are not going to be all that great. So, so yeah, you know, we can't just say, well, you're going to get the bad part of town, right? Now, it's also not always the case that upper income is where all the money is. A lot of times, those folks that have the most stuff are really in that middle income bracket. So what we want mm-hmm. to do is make sure we've got, you know, a, a nice rounded demographics from an you know income standpoint, and from of course, uh, a, you know, the demographic of age because obviously, uh, you're going to have more sales in an area that has a lot more uh, a, a older population. So we're going to want to mm-hmm. take a look at that too, and just be kind of smart. It's really. It's a it's a con you know, when you when you sign up for a franchise you sign a contract well we look at that as a negotiation process you know I may say well here's the pretty picture I drew on a map you may go I, no 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 wait a minute I want that neighborhood over there because I know I live here mm-hmm. I know damn well what's in that neighborhood over mm-hmm. there and we have to have a conversation about that um, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's an exclusive uh, obviously it's exclusive you know. These are buying and selling communities. We're gonna, they're going to be linked together. We're going to do referrals uh, that are going to, you know, transfer. Trans, I just had a call for a job in Nevada a few minutes ago. So, you know, we're going to have all that power of shared networking and marketing and brand recognition. But in the end, each community is its own community and has to have its own local identity. That is critical. Lots uh-huh. of companies have tried to do nationwide online auctions from one location that has not really worked out for this, for the estate sale industry. So it's important. Mm-hmm. It's a locally branded site with a local phone number. And while yes, you have this affiliation, it is a local business. So we can only have one in each area, obviously. Yeah, I understand. Well, Lloyd, this has been great. And we're down to those final three questions here. The first one is, if there is someone listening who's considering purchasing a franchise, what would you suggest that they do to prepare for the process? Well, so for my limited experience in franchising, I have sort of, and I, I mean, maybe this is the wrong thing to do, and you being an expert probably chastise me for this, but I, I sort of put buyers into three buckets. The first one is the guy that's, uh, or gal, I guess I should say, uh, the person who has maybe had a lot of time in business, 
you know, made a little bit of money, and they're kind of maybe they were in a corporate world and want to strike out and they want to start a business. They've got hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in cash to invest, and they want to invest in a business where they can hire and train management and maybe not put the typical long hours in that you would put into a traditional uh, business that you're growing from the ground up. Uh, and not, and now, again, not saying that just buying a franchise and there's this misconception that you're just pushing an easy button uh, and it's all just going to be, you know, you know, beautiful butterflies and flowers because the truth of the matter is no matter what franchise you buy into, you're going to have to build it somehow. But maybe you have the money to hire people to do a lot of the work. Okay, that's fine. So that's one bucket. Or if are you the average Joe that has maybe tens of thousands of dollars to invest and uh, and want to build a future uh, legacy uh, and understanding that you'll do much of the work at least initially to build that business. So that's sort of the second category, and I think more people fit into that category than any other category. Um, I, I just don't. I think a lot of times people just don't realize that. Uh, or are you, my third bucket is, I want to get rich quick. I want something cheap, low investment, and I'm going to make lots of money with limited hours. And if you're in that bucket, you need to forget about it. <laughs> yeah. Keep your job. Keep your day job. <laughs> Keep your J job. So, so that's sort of, that is, you know, that's the first thing. Um, I would also suggest to clear those stars from your eyes. I see people go to franchise shows and they walk up to all the big brands knowing they don't necessarily have the money, knowing maybe it's not yeah. really for them, but they have a yeah. big name. And you just see the crowd start grabbing over 7-Eleven and McDonald's and whoever's there. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? Clear those Clear, clear those stars from your eyes and consider, do you want a 24-hour business? Do you want a restaurant with low margins and long hours? Uh, you know, or, you know, are you just buying a job? And, and is there something else interesting in the room that you should be taking a look mm -hmm. at? And mm -hmm. then, like we've talked about, my third recommendation would be really looking at that long-term uh, future mm -hmm. of that industry. Mm -hmm. Yes, most definitely. So the second question here is, what are two traits that make a successful franchisee? And I think you've touched on that, but let's get specific. What are those two traits? Uh, it's very specific. We have touched on it. Number one, a hard worker. When you're building a business, I know, a franchise, what does a franchise do for you? It gives you a proven system. It gives you a unique mousetrap. It gives you a support system. When I started this, I did everything wrong for years, and I had no one to turn to. You, on the yep. other hand, have someone to turn to, which means you're more likely to stay in business, and you're more likely, and here's the other thing, more likely to make money faster. But it's going to take hard work. That is one thing I see. You know, If you're working a nine-to-five career now, and you're working 40 hours a week, you're, you'll You'll never work 40 hours probably in the next 10 years of your, your small business. You will be working 45, 50, 60, 80 hours, and that is the reality. Now, the further along you get, you may hire more employees. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at my exit strategy in my early 50s. I, I, I want to start working less hours, hire more people. My wife's younger than me. She's going to get in the whatever. I'm going to cut my hours back. But the point is – in the beginning, you need to be planning to work really hard. You know, it's just, 
I've even seen how many people have approached me over a franchise thinking, oh, I just put up an online e-commerce site and the money just flows in. Uh, I even went to our software programmers and asked them, and they said, yeah, we get people that think just an online auction website makes so much money, and because it's online, I don't have to do any work. So really being a hard worker. And and the second thing is just love what you do. It's the stupidest cliche in the world. But let's look at it this way. Most of us, when we get into a career or even sometimes we open a business, why do we open that business? It, well, I opened my first business. It was landscaping. Why? Because I was a kid. Mowing lawns was uh-huh. something I could do. It wasn't necessarily what I loved. But if we're going to pick a franchise, now we're probably at a point in time when we're alive where we can say, wait a minute. I've got lots of choices out there. Maybe I should pick something. Maybe you love restaurants. Maybe you love working with seniors. Maybe you like that Pawn Stars of Adventure, going out to a state sales and finding something new every day. Uh, Pawn Stars actually did call us out when we were doing a sale one time, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> if you enjoy that sort of thing, um, if you love what you do, you're more likely to be successful. And I think franchising poses an opportunity to look beyond the numbers and look at, am I going to love what I do? Because if you love what you do, you probably got a big, bigger chance of success. Right, exactly. So this kind of dovetails on my last question, and that is, what does the future of franchising look like? Well, I, I think it really is going to revolve around this shrinking population and changing demographic. And we're going to be increasingly a society that serves the needs of this aging population. Uh, I think that, you know, owner-operator and more affordable ground-level franchises are going to become more popular. Technology-based businesses that kind of been tossed aside and considered freaks. What do you mean you don't own a I even see young people walk up. What do you mean you don't have to own a brick-and-mortar building? You're telling me you're, I'm going to do $1.5 million in my pajamas from my home. I don't believe you. But I think that that's going to change. I think people are going to figure out that uh, technology is the way, um, you know, way of the future. And, you know, with this changing population demographics and shrinking populations and areas, there may be businesses that just in franchises that aren't as profitable as they once were because they don't have the volume to support their business. Uh, obviously, anything working with seniors, I mean, that's like shooting fish in a barrel, Right. Um, you know, we work with seniors, obviously that's part of what we do, but that is, should be, I think on everybody's mind when they're looking at the future of franchising and, um, you know, and and I think brokers have begun to realize that I remember years ago when franchise brokers wouldn't even talk to you unless you had 10 or 20 Mm -hmm. stores. And I was like, my God, I'm having more trouble selling those because, the market's oversaturated in those areas, and now they're starting to really say, wait a minute, maybe I need to look at these other ideas that are out there. And so, and I think, I would say if I'd put one down, one thing, it's time for people to look, start looking at other more futuristic ideas when it comes to franchising. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely, Lloyd. Lloyd, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. One more time, if someone's uh, you've piqued their interest and they want to know more, where would they find out more information about my auction addiction? 
Well, again, the most obvious is go to myoptionaddiction.com or reach out to us at Lloyd, L-L-O-Y-D, at myoptionaddiction.com or give us a call at 505-252-0915, 505-252-0915. And we're always open to someone coming and spending a couple of days in Albuquerque and doing a ride-along to see if it's a good fit for them. Wonderful. Thanks again, Lloyd. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I love um, my auction addiction and certainly want to stay in touch. Thank you very much for your time, and I, I, I hope that everybody out there that's looking for an opportunity will find that, uh, will find that beautiful future for them and their families. Wonderful. So, folks, um, you know, one more time, I've brought you another industry that's being, that is embracing the franchise model. Uh, it is a, a great thing to look into, and especially as Lloyd had mentioned, some of those brands, um, you, you see one every few miles. And, you know, you drive around your neighborhood, you drive around the community, and there's another one and another one. So if you're looking for something unique, this would certainly be a brand to look at. So as always, I'm going to leave you with a quote, and it goes like this. Does your stuff and the things around you represent who you are today or who you were in the past? That's an unknown author, but I thought it was quite appropriate for today. Again, folks, thanks so much for joining me on All Things Franchising, and I'll see you next time. Another great episode of All Things Franchising is now in the books. You can listen to past shows by following All Things Franchising on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure not to miss us next time when we bring you a brand new episode of All Things Franchising.